Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about the redeemed. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. You can turn there, but I'm going to talk to you about the redeemed. How many people uh, grew up poor? Just a show of hands. How many people grew up poor? Isn't that wonderful? Look at you, almost everyone. It's kind of a badge of honor, isn't it, growing up poor? Because some of us, we've, we've worked hard to get where we are, and you look back, and, and it's kind of that badge, like, yeah, I've, I've made it. And you kind of look back on those days of poverty or when you didn't have anything, when you just start not getting married or whatever and just working. And you kind of look back, and it's kind of prideful in a sense. It's like, yeah, I mean, I've made it through those times. They made me who I was. I wouldn't want to go back there, but I'm thankful for those moments where I learned how to live on little, right? That's how we view it. Even maybe it's your mom or dad. You grew up poor with your mom or dad. You know, that's... uh, Kind of, in, in, in a sense, though, poverty is relative. Your poor may not be the same as somebody else's poor, right? But, uh, you know, our, my story is not anything crazy, but uh, my mom and dad, we grew up in southeast Arkansas, northeast Louisiana, and I, we lived in a single-wide trailer. My, uh, my dad worked at a grocery store in the meat market. My mom worked in the bank, and uh, we were poor. We, we drove uh, Isuzu cars. Remember the Isuzu? Uh, we drove Isuzu cars. We, we made it paycheck to paycheck. We lived on my grandmother's land, and we made it those first eight years where, where we were poor. I didn't know I was poor, but all my clothes came from Walmart, and that's what we could afford, and that was okay. And, and you, you were happy, right? And my mom and dad were hard workers. Neither one of them had gone to college. My dad grew up uh, in a, an abusive alcoholic uh, home, and his mom had died from cancer, and he'd work to provide himself to where he was, and he began to work his way up through management, and we'd move to south of uh, St. Louis, and my mom would put herself through night school, eventually own her own business. Uh, years later, my dad would work his way up, like I said, through management, and they would work hard to provide me a good life, put me in a safe school, help me get to college, and give me a footing for my family. Beth's family is much the same way. Dad was on an assembly line, still is, uh, in St. Louis Manufacturing. Mom was a school uh, a cafeteria worker, still is, and would work very hard to give Beth the, the life and put her through college. And we'd be the first two on both sides of our family to go to college and get our bachelor's degree and then our master's degree. And so we're kind of that first generation to actually make it on both sides of our family. But I worry, you know, as, as I can look back, I can see, well, wow, my parents really did the American dream. They really worked hard. Everything they have, they've earned it. They've really worked hard for it to get there. And I can look back in appreciation to say, wow, looking back at my past, I can see where we've come from. And because of our past, we can appreciate our present. How many know what I'm talking about? You can appreciate where you are now. You appreciate what you got. But don't you know you worry about your children, or at least I do, that they won't have the same experience of past. They are living, we have a nice, uh, nice house, and Beth and I, we're, we're average in our income, and, and we, we do well compared to where I grew up. So they're not going to have that same experience. So it's my job to teach them about the story of our family so they'll appreciate what they've got. How many are with me? You know what I'm talking about. You know, your Christian life is very much the same way. And I've been thinking about this this week, that I have to look back at my past 
and appreciate where I've come from. Some of us in this room have come from brokenness. We've come from uh, just trauma in our lives. Some of us have experienced uh, the ra- what sin, how it ravages uh, your past, and you've, you've come through that, and now you've experienced the newness of Christ. You've been restored. You've been set, set on solid ground. Your life is better. Your, your relationships are better. Your finances are better, and you appreciate that now. You, but in the same sense, sometimes... We don't like to think about our past. For some of us, we've gotten to a place where, okay, I'm good now. I'm a good Christian. Maybe people in this room don't know how messed up I was in my past. And I don't really want to tell them because I don't want to make them think ill of me. Or I don't want to go back there because it brings up bad memories. And I just want to pretend like it never happened. And I'm just going to be the Christian I am now. Well, don't you know that, that your past has a big part to play in your present, right? Who you were and how Christ has transformed you really is a part of who you are. And sometimes we want to forget it, and yet there are other people sometimes that seem like we never can move on, like we, we are still living in the past. Even though I know I'm good in the present, my past has really got a hold of me. I'm still living with those hurts. I'm still living with that pain. I still have some of that addiction to sin issues in my life that are still holding me down. And I just am not all that I could be because my past has held on to me. So neither one is good. It's never good to just wipe away the past and pretend you're good now. And it's never good to have the past control your present. But there should be an alternative. And we're going to talk about that today is that remembering who we were without Christ has a profound impact on knowing who you are in Christ. I'm going to say it again because it's uh, knowing and remembering who you were without Christ will have a profound impact on knowing who you are in Christ. So this morning I'm going to talk to you about three things, your past, your present, your future, and that's simply this, that do you remember who you were and do you realize who you are, and do you rejoice in who you're becoming? So let me say it again. It's remembering your past, then realizing who you are in Christ, and rejoicing in your future. So we're going to talk about remembering your past, realizing your present, and rejoicing in your future. And this is the story of the redeemed. What is the redeemed? Let me tell you what the redeemed. The word redeemed means a person or a thing that is bought back. It means that something was either owed a debt or that it was ransomed. And that debt or that ransom had to be paid in full for you to get it back. If you were somebody was kidnapped and there was a ransom on your child, you had to pay the full price of that ransom to redeem them back. Or if somebody was, uh, you owed a debt on your house and the bank took your house because you got back paid on, on your mortgage, you had to pay the full sum in order to redeem your house back. It is the payment in full to redeem, to pull something back from its payment, from its debt. And Scripture talks about this. In the Old Testament, it talks about uh, Israel, right? They were uh, bound, into, bound into slavery in Egypt, and God had to pay the price, and He rescued them out of slavery and took them to a promised land. They had a past, 
and that was slavery. They had a present, and that was God being in them and with them. And then they had a future that God was redeeming them for, right? And Paul says it the same way in the New Testament. He says, guys, you had a past. You were, had a payment. Sin caused a payment issue. It was You were defaulting on your loan. You couldn't pay it if you wanted to. And so Christ, by his blood, he pays your debt, and he redeems you in the present But Paul says, guess what? It's not just the past and the present. He's also redeeming you for a future that one day he's going to come back and finish the the job. In a sense that he's paid the price for your sin now, but one day he's going to come redeem your mortal body and give you a spiritual body. So even redemption has a past, a present, and a future. And we want to remember who we were, realize who we are, and rejoice in who we're going to be, all right? Somebody say amen. amen. All right, that's the story of the redeemed. And I'm going to look at these, each one, and kind of talk about my story and your story. And so let's talk about remembering our past. Remembering our past. Uh, you know, I don't have the testimony probably that most people have, and sometimes I used to uh, think about, man, I really wish, maybe I should have done drugs or something, you know, just to have a better story. You, ever, you, you like those speakers. It's like, Ooh, wow, they rode motorcycles, and they had a, you know, did drugs, and were the number one drug dealer, and then they had this great transformational story. It's like, oh, yeah, I want to hear that. That was not me at all, at all. That's not my story at all. Um, it is the story of my father a little bit, right? So my dad, like I told you, he, he uh, grew up in, in Oak Grove, Louisiana. He had an abusive, very hate-filled father who divorced his mom, and as he began to work hard and to live, he basically was living like Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn. He was a, kind of the, the troubled kid in town, throwing Coke bottles at cop cars, getting them to chase him, running through the woods, you know, playing heavy metal, uh, dealing with drugs and pornography and all these things, learning about life on his own without a father, working hard to put his family food on the table. And then his mom would suddenly come down with cancer and she would die just after having taken her family to church. So my dad had just gotten saved, trying to live on his own, his uh, five other brothers and sisters, trying to make ends meet and live for them. And he got into worship music at a church, and, and he uh, was there the day his mom died and sang Christian music to her while she passed away, and then had to forego college to keep his family going and, and met my mom at church and all this. And so his, his story has often been uh, a learning experience for me. His past has helped me, and all of his stories have helped me not try to do some of these crazy things. And so he, he and my mom raised me in church, and for the most part, most people would have thought I was the good person, right? Uh, I made straight A's. I did what I was supposed to do. I went to church every week because I didn't have a choice, right? And I had to read my Bible and pray and, and do all the things. And I, they taught me to say no to sex and to drugs because they had stories, right? So on the outside, I would have seemed like this normal person, but Heath Harris had to go on this little discovery of what the Bible calls us having as a sin nature and that we are all so horribly messed up. We are all so horribly far from God. And it would be in a moment in my life, I would realize, though I had all these things in a row, I was a brat of a Christian. I really was. I was sarcastic and judgmental and religious and prideful. And I had to find out for myself, I was just as far as my dad was, as every drug dealer, as every adulterer, as every, every evil person in the world, that I was on the inside just as screwed up as anybody else. 
And God would take me on this journey inside myself and say, Heath, you are this pitiful person. And even though I hadn't done all this outwardly things, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer, I'm a thief, I'm a liar, I'm a gossip. And Ephesians 12 tells me I was far off. Look, let's look there for a second. Because I, even though I didn't have a physical past to remember, I had a spiritual issue I had to remember that had a hold of me. I have this past. Even today, I can look back on my past and say, Heath, I was far off. And look at Ephesians 2.12 says, remember, let's say that together, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Earlier in chapter 2, he told them, he said, guys, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were walking like the devil. You were disobeying God. You were living, he says, in chapter 2, verse 1 and 3, you were living in the lust of your flesh, indulging in, in the desires of the flesh and of your mind. And by nature, you were children of wrath headed for destruction. And he says, guys, it is important you remember who you were without Christ. I don't want to forget who I was without Christ. No, I don't want to live there. I don't want that to own me. But I also don't want to forget who Heath Harris really is on the inside. He is, by nature, a horrible person. I am. By, by nature, we are a horrible people. So God started dealing with me, showing me my nature. Uh, I remember so many times rejecting altar calls. I can't tell you the hundreds of altar calls I should have went down to as a teenager and as a young adult. I was pushing God so far away. I would sit on the back row. I would watch people, judge people. Uh, I could make straight A's. I was on the worship team. I was in a youth group. But man, on the inside, I was full of lust and pride and uh, judgmental and anger and, and all this kind of junk, just no joy, no freedom of the Holy Spirit. I was closed off to the things of God. I uh, didn't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit or emotion. And I just said, I can believe God in my own way. You do, just do your thing. Don't judge me. And this huge chip on my shoulder. And, and this began to eat away with me and eat away with me. And I, I remember struggling through sin issues and just going to my closet and, and just weeping and crying and getting angry with myself because I could not live up to the standard that I was living up externally. And I knew that on the inside, I was so not where I was on the outside. Because by nature, we are far from God. And so many times we live in this denial. We live in this denial, not knowing how bound uh, we really are. You know, we want to gloss over our imperfections. We want to think of ourselves as basically good. Even as a Christian, we can easily think of ourselves as basically good, but that's not true. The Bible says that nothing good lives in us, and that's what I was figuring out. Uh, Colossians 1.21 says, Our minds are hostile towards God. They are evil in their actions. And if we don't want to deal with our past, we're going to have a real problem with our present. If, if we don't want to deal with our past, even in a sense, we're going to alienate ourselves from God. Things like this. We can deny that we really have problems in our life. Because if we're living in the present and we haven't really dealt with our past, we're going to deny that those problems still exist in our hearts. And that we have a tendency to do those things. And they go, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm beyond that. I'm, I'm who I am now. But no, there's things in your past that really you got to keep an eye on. Things that are in our nature, even though we're saved, there are things in our fleshly nature that really can have a hold on us. And we can deny those and gloss them over and say we're better now. Or we can say things like this. Well, 
yeah, they hurt me, they, they affected me, maybe it was an abusive relationship, maybe as a trauma as a child, maybe it was grudges, things that happened to you, and you think, okay, I'm I'm just not going to think about it. They don't have a hold on me anymore, but you really haven't dealt with it, and it's going to come up and surface its nasty head one day because you haven't dealt with it. Or worse, we can blame others for problems in our past. We can say, those things of our past are so-and-so's fault. I'm going to move on. I'm going to be fine, but that's all on them. That's not dealing with your past. That's not having it paid for and completed. And so there's a lot of times, even living in the present, that we have denial that things in our past are really completed and done. But redemption, and you might write this down because this is important, redemption is not about covering up your past. It's about having it paid for. Redemption is not about covering up your past. It's about having it paid for. And so it's not about just moving beyond it, getting over it, pushing through it, forgetting it, leaving it behind you. No, redemption is having it completely finished, paid for, done, and then you can move on for it. And so God had to begin to work on things in my heart, dealing with lust issues, pride issues, judgmentalism, things of control, a lot of control issues of not wanting God to do things in my heart, emotions, and and just figuring all those things out and letting go and surrender little by little to all these things that I didn't even realize I had going on because nobody knew, even myself. If we don't own our past, it will stop you from moving to your present, even your future. If you don't own your past, it will stop you from moving forward. And so I had to go through denial. Then I had to realize I was powerless. And we do these, these two words, the big words that are celebrate recovery, powerless. It means that I am powerless over my sin nature, that my life without God is unmanageable. That's what we say at our CR, that our life without God is not manageable. I can't manage my life without God, that I am powerless over these sin nature, over these addictions, over these thoughts, over these feelings, over these emotions, over my anger or pride. And so I had to remember Romans 7, 18 and come to real grips that Heath Harris knows what is right to do but it is, he is powerless to live it out. That every one of us in this room, that should be our story. Apart from God, you can't be the Christian he's called you to be. You have to understand that without God, I cannot control my lust, my pride, my anger, my unforgiveness, my regret, my doubt, my feelings, my emotions. All of that is controlling me if I'm not in Jesus. And so we're powerless. Nothing good dwells in me, Paul said. And so we're no different than the addict, the criminal. In fact, I probably was worse because I was the hypocrite. Because on the outside, I could be a perfect church kid. But on the inside, I'm just as screwed up as everybody else. And, and that's a real popular thing to do in a religious Bible belt, right? We can put on our suit and our tie and our makeup, and we can go to church and sing the songs and, and post on Facebook all these scriptures. But we know you're out there doing the same thing behind closed doors as the rest of the people. And if we would just own it, if we would just come to terms with our past and get broken before God and say, God, I realize I am pathetic, I'm powerless, I need payment, I need payment for this sin. It is going to owe me and own me and own me until I get payment for it, until it is completely paid for. That is redeemed because why? Sin has a price. 
Sin in our life will cost you something. It always does. Sin always costs you something. Even if we're playing around with it, it's going to cost you something. The Bible says, beware, sin will find you out, meaning it has a price to pay. There is something it is going to catch up with you. It is going to be a relationship gone wrong. It's going to have an emotional impact. Or there's going to be something that this little habit turns into a big habit. Or that small little bit of anger turns into big anger. Or that thing that you didn't think nobody knew, somebody's going to know. Because sin has a price. And that price tag is death. It costs you something. And if it's not paid, it's going to cause captivity. And Israel had this constant reminder in the Old Testament that every day, every week, every month, and every year, there was a sacrifice to cover every hour, every month, every day, every week of the year. There was a price to pay. They had to spill blood of an animal. And it was a constant reminder, your sin has to be paid for. Your sin has a price, but the blood of bulls and goats continued to fall short. But thanks be to God, the Bible also tells us that the Lord was our Redeemer. That there was a time that Jesus stepped on this earth, and even though our our, he came to pay the price of our redemption, and even though our sin was binding us in our past and our nature was uncontrollable, we could cry out to a Redeemer, and He would redeem us without money, but by the precious life of His Son, Isaiah 52 tells us. He would rescue us from the power of sin and death. He would pay the price for your past, because sin has a price. So that's, that's our past. So you have to remember that. Why? Because let's talk about realizing your present. To, to realize your present, you've got to remember your past. But what is realizing your present? My past reminds me of condemnation. My present reminds me of salvation. My future is going to show me glorification. So we're talking about remembering how I was in condemnation. I was far from Christ, but now I need to realize who I am in Christ. So how do we do that? For me, just personally, it's two parts. It's faith and it's fear. I'll give you the good news part, the faith part. Faith, what is, what is this faith part? You've got to have confidence in who he is. Look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 6, and then verse 13. To remember our past is to realize our present. So in realizing my present, I've got to have faith in what he's done. What does that mean? That means that Mark tells us that he would give his life as a ransom for many, meaning Jesus would be the redeemer. He'd be the payer of your debt. In Ephesians, Paul says this way. He says, but God was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us Even when we were dead in our transgressions, that's bound in sin. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. He raised us up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought, everybody say, near by the blood of Christ. You were far off, but now you've been brought near. This is the story of the redeemed, and I have to have faith, confidence in what Jesus Christ has said he's done. For instance, 
It says, we are redeemed, we are bought with a price, we are purchased and ransomed with His blood. 1 Corinthians 6 and Ephesians 1. That in Christ we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Colossians 1.14. We are holy, blameless, above reproach. Colossians 1.22. What does that mean? It means that your past, thank the Lord, is paid in full. Somebody say amen. Your past has been paid in full. If you would come to Christ, repent of your sin, realize, get away from denial, get o- understand you're powerless, come to Christ, confess Him, cry out to Him as, I need a Redeemer, I need someone to buy me out of this mess. He would come to you with grace because of your faith, and He says, now you are far off, I'm bringing you near. I'm paying the price with my own blood. I'm making you holy, above reproach, blameless. I am taking your past. It is paid in full. Paid in full. That means there is no debt to pay. There's no captivity anymore. Everything I've given to him, he's paid for it. There's no condemnation any longer. And that means if my past is paid in full, I'm free to live a new life in the present. That I'm free in the present. Those things don't hold me anymore. They are not my identity anymore. That's why in our recovery groups and here at this church, we don't say I am an alcoholic, I am a homosexual, I am an adulterer. No, 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 no. Your past has been paid in full. That's who you were. We remember those things. We are thankful now because we have been redeemed. So just like the story of our poverty issue, I can look at my past and it doesn't, it doesn't affect who I am in the sense of my depression or, or my joy. It's saying, yes, I'm not that what I was, but thank God for what I am. I am I've been transformed, translated. And so I live with confidence now in faith. I'm not uh, living in the old identity or the old emotions or the old anger. But in the sense, I can celebrate my past because of his payment. And you have to get to that place in your life where you can own your past. If we're ashamed of our past, has Christ paid for it? Because I don't know about you, if somebody came and paid off your house or your car note, you'd probably be happy about it. You'd probably rejoice in it. If someone came and wiped away your debts and canceled them out, you'd probably have a reason to rejoice. Yeah, sorry, I got lost in credit card debt, but guess what? Somebody came and paid my note. And that's what I'm rejoicing in. I'm not looking at my identity any longer as a debtor. I'm looking as a person who's been paid free. But the fact that I was a debtor makes me thankful for what he's done. So my life is now a worshiper of what he's done. If I don't remember the things that I was, how am I going to appreciate being a good Christian, right? We're just going to be religious, We don't want to acknowledge, oh, yeah, guess what? No, we're all perfect in here. The sinners can go to the other church, right? No, 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 no. That's religion. Get your life right and all that stuff, you know. No, no, no. We were all hopeless without God. We're all messed up. And that's the story of the redeemed. If you you don't, you can't forget that part. It'd be like cutting out the first half of a movie. It's not any good. The second half is not near as good if you haven't watched the first half. And the first half is that you have been canceled out. Everything has been done. So somebody say amen. Amen. We can celebrate our past because we have faith in his payment. So there's the faith part that I know my past is paid in full. I can rejoice in it. The second part is fear. What do I fear? The Bible says in Philippians, 
to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Pastor, don't you know that perfect love casts out all fear? Aren't you contradicting yourself? Well, I'm reading you scripture. What does Paul mean when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is wisdom to forsake evil is true understanding. That the fear of the Lord is wise. And as a Christian, you should have some fear of the Lord. What does that mean? I don't fear God in my debt or my payment or my sin. I have faith in that. I rejoice in that. I own my past. I'm proud that God has saved me. I don't I don't, I'm not proud of what I've done, but I'm proud that I've been translated to a new kingdom. Now, I have fear, though, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. I live in a holy reverence of God, and I don't want to be without God. I fear leaving Him. I fear willfully walking away. I fear being without Him again. I fear that if I don't keep in communion with him, that I, not God, will never leave me nor forsake me, but he, Harris, is prone to wander, like the good hymn said, that we are prone to walk away from God. And if I don't let the spirit man live within me, and I let the flesh man start ruling again, guess where he's going to go back? He likes to rack up those bills, that sin issue, and we tend to go back that way. So when we talk about working out your salvation with fear and trembling, it means this. Find your worth in Christ, but never trust in yourself. Find your worth in Christ and never trust in yourself. It means if I start thinking that I'm something, I'm quick to fall. I'm going to remember who I was. If I think Heath Harris is a pretty good Christian, he's a good guy, he's got it all together, guess what? He's about to fall. Because if I, if I ever forget who I really am, that what I have now is Christ in me, not me. I need to, I, I mean, I'd lean on Christ. I want to be reverent and humble because though I know who I am, I don't want to return to who I was. I know who I am, but I don't want to return to who I was. I know that James 1 tells me in verse 15, that if a little lust is conceived in my heart, it will give birth to sin, and that sin will grow. And when that sin is accomplished, that sin will bring forth death. And a little thing that I'm playing around with now as a Christian, if I keep playing around with it, though I'm in Christ and my identity is not in those things, if I continue to play around with it and I don't have this holy, reverent fear of God, I'm quickly prone to wander back to making debts I cannot pay. And I'll be living my life very quickly without Jesus. And so my past, I remember the condemnation. But in my present, I realize my salvation. And I don't doubt that I matter to God or what He's done, but I need to stay in communion with Him. I need to continue to ask Him to remove my character defects, to keep me forgiving, to crucify the flesh, to keep me fleeing from sin. And so I can remember my past without it defining who I am. I can stop identifying my past because Christ has paid it in full, but I need Him to help me live a new life in the present. Amen? So I realize my past, I remember, I remember my past, I realize my present, and lastly is this, I rejoice in my future. When you are struggling in this nature between your past and your present, some of us have a real hard time leaving those past things, and some of us want to blanket them away and pretend they don't exist anymore, and we're struggling in those areas, what we ought to do is begin to look to the future 
because it puts things in perspective. The Bible tells us that as a redeemed person, man, you have a wonderful future, that God has redeemed you, yes, but you have a future redemption still. Look in Ephesians 2, 7. He says this, so that in the ages to come, he might rescue you. He might, sorry, show you the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You know what I think that means? It says, in the ages to come, he might show you the surpassing greatness, the value of knowing Jesus. I think that just like every day with Christ here on the earth, I learn more of his love. I learn more of his knowledge. I, I love more of his character. I love more of his personality, his holiness. We're learning more every time. As, if you're in a Christian relationship with God, if you're in a relationship with God, you should be closer to him in year 20 than you were at year one. You should know more about him as a character, as a, as a living being. You should have that relationship grow just like a spouse. You just get closer, more intimate the more you're with him. I think eternity is going to be the same way. I don't think you're going to figure God out on day one. I think in the ages to come, 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000 years from now, you're still going to be getting amazed at who God is and how he has saved you through Christ. And you're going to continue to sing the song of the redeemed from age to age to age. It will never be older. You're going to be continually getting more redeemed and more redeemed and more redeemed. You won't just, you'll be perfect, yeah, day one. But you're going to just begin to get amazed at the redemption story that God has with you. And Ephesians 4.30 says this, that now how you know this is going to happen, he says he's given you the sign, the seal of the Holy Spirit in your heart that has sealed you, Paul says, for the day of redemption. So you have a future redemption. That means that, that this promise is a future inheritance through the Holy Spirit. You begin to see this whole picture and that you realize that, God, I'm not what I was. I'm confident in who I am. But I'm rejoicing that I'm going to be even more than I am right now. You are going to be more than you are right now. You will begin to have more of his glory and more of his glory. The Bible says that he takes us from glory to glory. He, he, he continually lavishes his grace on us for eternity uh, beyond this place. So you may have experienced condemnation and salvation now, but you will experience glorification. And that is is what you should be thinking about today. God, I can, I can remember my past. I can re, I'm going to realize my present and be confident in that. But God, now I'm rejoicing in my future. I want to live a life that's rejoicing, God, and the glory that's to come. And Isaiah 55, I'm going to close with this. Isaiah 55 tells us of this story, and I encourage you to go read it. It's the future of the redeemed. I'm going to paraphrase it because here's what it is. Are you ready? You all ready? Amen. Okay. It says this. It says, it's going to be one, just picture this. It's going to be one with rejoicing, with shouts of joy, with majesty. They'll see the glory of the Lord, Isaiah says. God will encourage the exhausted. He'll strengthen the feeble. The anxious will have no fear. God will save them. He, in that day, you're going to see blind eyes that have been opened, deaf ears that have been opened, lame that are going to leap, tongues of mute is going to be rejoicing. Every dead place is going to flourish with new life. God's people will finally be at rest. There'll be no sin there. There'll be no sinners there. There'll be no enemy to hunt you. You will walk in the peace and safety. The Bible says everlasting joy will be on your heads because there'll be 
only gladness there because sorrow and sighing will have fleet away. That, can you imagine? Here I am, this horrible, lust-filled, pride-filled, adulterer, liar, uh, a judgmental, prideful person, and I, Heath Harris, is going to experience all of these things because of Jesus Christ. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. But I can say, God, I, I'm remembering my past. I'm realizing my present, that I'm in Christ, and I'm secure in Him, and I'm rejoicing in my future. Remembering your past helps you realize what Christ has done in your present and rejoices in what He will do in your future. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I'm going to ask our team to come back. Where are you at today? Where are you at? No doubt in this room, there are some who aren't as joyful as they should be or could be because maybe the past is still living in the present. Maybe there's sin issues that you're still dealing with. We all sin, we all struggle, we all fight that old nature. It's a lifelong battle until our future redemption. But God can give you security in your present. Maybe you've been doubting, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't always feel it, I don't always act like it, and I need Jesus in my present right now to really give me the power and the strength over this old nature of mine. Some of us can't see beyond the present realities of all the things that are going on in your life right now, that your present has been so dogged down with things, and it's just clouded in a darkness because of life circumstances or issues, maybe it's heart issues, and the rejoicing in the future seems like something so far off, it's so foreign, that I, I just don't live in that place. God is here to redeem you. He is here to pay the price for everything in your life, for your healing, for your emotional healing, for relational healing. All of it is paid. It's all under the blood of Jesus. And as you would begin to cry out in this moment and just surrender, God, I need more joy. God, I need more peace. God, I need to be saved from habitual sin. God, I, I need to give up gossiping and lying or slander or lust or pride. There are things that are from my past coming, trying to own my present. My old man wants to come back. It's like a virus trying to pull me back. But God, I want to resist these things. God, I'll give you strength in those things. Are you living with a confident reality of Jesus Christ? And are you living rejoicing in your future? Or are there things that are pulling you back? God wants you to live confident in what His Son has done on the cross. He wants you to live free in the present, rejoicing in the future. If you are just in this place, I'm not even going to ask you to lift a hand. I want you just to begin to tell the Lord what your specific need is.